So welcome everyone. Can you hear me in the back okay? I'm a soft talker. Yeah. Yeah, I guess welcome is the first word I want to say. Even though we've been here for days. I noticed that uh, parts of me are still arriving. Anybody relate to that? Yeah, it's funny the way it takes a couple of days to really arrive, to allow the nervous system to unwind a bit. And we keep finding more and more of us. Hmm. So we could say welcome the first night and every night, you know, every day, right? Because there's a whole bunch of parts of us too, right? So we want to welcome you and not just every one of you, but every single part of every one of you, right? Because there's parts that I'm super proud of that I can't wait to tell you about. There's parts that I've been trying to change for years. Yeah, it's all here, right? So what does it mean to really welcome people all of our experience, the, the wholeness that's sitting in every one of our cushions and chairs? Hmm. Yeah, I guess uh, I had a couple confessions first. There was huge parts of my experience that it took me a long time to welcome places that I was kind of compartmentalized that I didn't share so much with the people around me. Yeah. And I, uh, I jumped the fence out of a lot of retreat centers. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like... Splitsville. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, after a couple of days like this, and uh, awareness becomes amplified, I didn't always like what I saw. Yeah, hard to hold it. So, I just want to say, th the fact that you're still here, fantastic. <laughs> you're doing a bang-up job. Yeah, just staying, you know? Like I, I saw this little, uh, I was in one of those like new age bookstores, you know? And I, I like to go in those. And uh, there was like a little uh, necklace for people, but it was like a bone. And it said, sit, stay, heal. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Ain't that the truth? Hmm. Hmm. So, not sure if this is true for everybody, but have you noticed any self-judgment? <laughs> like, like, how am I doing? You know, how's the retreat going? Right? It can be like a constant evaluation of how I'm doing. I've heard how we talk about it before, the imagined self going into my imagined future. Yeah. 
If we're not careful, the practice can easily become just another stop on the endless road to self-improvement. But this is really outside of that. This is really a refuge from that. So I want to spend some time just kind of framing the conversation as I understand it. The practice. In my own experience, and as I talk to some people, it can really feel like we're in this paradigm that I'm uh, trying to be a better version of myself. You know? Like, the good part of me is trying to fix the bad part of me. Anybody relate to that? Yeah. So it's, it's pretty comprehensive. It's a... Uh, it's alive and well, that, that kind of duality inside our experience. And I kind of want to unpack that. Yeah. It's like a crazy game we run down on ourselves, and it's really hard to win. Even when I have some success, there's a part of me that's saying, you should have been doing this the whole time, stupid. You know what I mean? It's so simple. It's right in front of you. So I can hear like <laughs> my Uncle Bobo and, you know, I can hear all of these dudes that I, I've moved thousands of miles away and yet they are here. <laughs> They're at Spirit Rock with me, all staying in my room. <laughs> Wild. <laughs> what a cast. Hmm. How many people remember that uh, television show, Name That Tune? You remember that show? And I, I could name that tune in two seconds or three notes. Or Sometimes I feel like that's what the mind is like and I could turn anything into suffering. I could turn that into suffering in two seconds. <laughs> you know? Like we're having a great experience and then it's... Ah, So I think, you know, we're working with the mind and perception. Yeah. It's really wild to really start kind of looking at the organ that receives the world in a way, you know? And so here we are, we try to incline it toward kindness and uh, wholesome and skillful means and everything that we've been hearing about, right? Hmm. There's a sign on the wall in a monastery in, in Thailand, and it talks about that we don't become m- monks and nuns or nunks uh, to eat well, sleep well, or be comfortable, but only to know suffering and how not to cause it. So I could just imagine that any complaint they would just point at that sign (laughs) what are you not getting here (laughs) this is what we're doing here 
And this place is so fantastic, right? It's so beautiful. It's like super majestic. And, you know, we're totally here, right? Yeah. And yet there's struggles here too, right? And you know that any struggle that is here, we brought here, right? Like I brought my whole family. You know, we, we bring our struggles here and we try to like figure out what is the right relationship to everything that's going on inside me? All the thoughts, memories, plans, this, these bodies. Yeah. How do we see the suffering clearly? We see it arising and passing away. I guess what I want to kind of drill into a bit is this idea that somehow we're going to withhold love from ourselves until we start acting right. This is deep. It's really, really amazing when you... I've kind of turned my practice in that direction. And and once you start looking for something, you find it, right? So I've been finding that a lot in my experience. Like I'm trying to starve that part out of me, you know, by not nourishing it, by not feeding it, right? But as I look back, I I wonder, you know, because that was definitely the mode of operation in my family too, right? And I wonder if it's ever gotten anybody to act right, withholding love, you know? This idea that I could hate myself into becoming a better person. That's what I see, you know? That's that's what it feels like. And we come to practice, you know, we, to lesser degrees and, you know, for all of us, right? Sometimes it's not that dramatic. Sometimes we just ride ourselves really hard. And we come to practice and uh, they assure us that this is not another arena for self-judgment, right? This is not something we can mess up. You can't do it wrong. And I'm still waiting for the other shoe to drop, right? And I'll say it's, it's, it's kind of hard as a teacher too, because you see people <sighs> it's a little bit of a heartbreaker when you see people using that kind of uh, extortion on themselves, because this is really a refuge from that whole um, duality, you could say. So what does it feel like? Sometimes it feels like being at war with parts of myself. Yeah, like my laziness. I'm kind of like, I hang in the lazier part of the cosmos, you know? (laughs) You know, some people are like super type A personalities and they have to work with that. I work in a different part. (laughs) 
in uh, how it manifests is um, what's wrong with this moment? You know, like aversion, a lot of aversion. So what's wrong with me? What's wrong with this place? What's wrong with these people snoring? What's up with this guy breathing so much? Whatever it is, right? Everywhere we look, when the mind is colored with aversion, we find it. Mm. And as I began, as awareness kind of amplifies, it feels like, (laughs) it can feel like we're worse than ever, right? Like there wasn't this much thought going on. I'm thinking more. And it feels like the refrigerator buzz has been on for eight years and we just woke up to it, you know? Just like, wow, this has been going on the whole time, this whole internal dialogue these judgments, these criticisms, this aversion, just kind of running things behind the scenes. Hmm. So it can feel like it's more ammunition for the inner critic. A lot of comparing mind, because people look so spiritual, you know? This is like the most spiritual posture ever, you know? (laughs) It's so funny. George Bernard Shaw, he writes, uh, he says, I feel like a feverish, selfish little clod of ailments and grievances, complaining that the world will not devote itself to making me happy. It's pretty dramatic. That dude needs to ease up a bit. (laughs) But that's what this talk is about. Basically, it's about easing up, you know, like easing up on ourselves. I feel like we're doing better than we could have ever imagined. Like, really? In, In context of what you could be doing, this is pretty wholesome. So, so we can ride ourselves pretty hard and sometimes if I'm having a hard time with myself and somebody like piles on top of me, it feels like, don't gang up on me, with me, against me. <laughs> like I'm already having a hard time here just holding it together, you know? William James talks about it. He says, uh, this ceaseless frenzy of always thinking we should be doing something else, right? So it's kind of unyielding, unnourishing, just uh, driving ourselves. This is more on the the type A. Hmm. Hmm. This voice is easy to recognize even in my experience because it's without love, it's without grace. Yeah, 
I know its voice well. So we look at the suffering and we try to see, what is this? A lot of times it can, it can manifest as becoming, right? Like it's always, I'm always like one retreat away, you know? The canyons are far in front of me and I'm just like running. And there's just a, you know, as soon as I, whatever it is, fill in the blank. As soon as I get this job, as soon as I lose this weight, as soon as I get married, as soon as I get divorced, <laughs> whatever, is a way that we can postpone arrival because, you know, right now I'm just kind of hanging in there, right? I'm preparing. And we come on retreat and uh, it can feel like this is the test. It's like, well, how am I really doing? You know, after reading the shampoo bottle three times, you know what I mean? <laughs> I'm trying, to, you know, we have a lot of ideas about retreat and what it's going to be like. So a lot of probably dashed expectations, right? We come and we're here, right? So we have that to deal with. (laughs) And it's easy to just get lost in this idea that things should be some other way. Whatever it is, I should have less thoughts. I should have more insights. The teaching should be better. The it should be sunnier. Like whatever. Like we we'll like implicate our ideas all over everything. They don't even have to be logical. And you know we don't sit enough, or I'm not getting it, or the practice is not working. Right? We we know this list well. this idea that if only, if only I really got it. You know, we hear like the Buddha, the Dharma and the Sangha, this triple gem, you know? And um, when I got here, it was just like, oh, okay. So the Sangha is just some new people to be annoyed with. The Dharma is something I ultimately will never understand. <laughs> and the Buddha loves me, but mostly disappointed. You know what I mean? Like, so, so. so what is a refuge from a mind that just wants to superimpose my whole ego structure over practice. You know, the same way I've done everything. 
how is this just the next hamster wheel? You know, once I find a teacher and once I get it and once I find the community, like whatever, right? Is all this becoming? I heard Howie talking about it last night. The great kindness of resting. But the mind wants to acquire, right? The mind wants to get it. So, you know, it assures us if we just tried a little bit harder, we would get it and then we would have it and then I would show them all, you know? I like flash to every one of my ex-girlfriends and I'm like, look now. I'm super mindful, what? In your face, what? But as long as meditation becomes another acquisition, it'll always feel like it's failing. Because it's not that. You know, it's so hard for us to get our head around it. Because it's like, well, I'm spending all of this time doing this thing. And I want something to show for it. Hmm. So how do we understand uh, this refuge that I keep kind of pointing at. That's not about self-assessment and evaluation. Mm. So I think we're all working with a certain kind of question. Um, There's a lot of different names for that thing, but you could know it as uh, your main contraction. So for me, it would be, am I lovable? My other friend that that I uh, sit with a lot, it's, is he smart, right? Like we all have a version of it, whatever it is. And the thing I, I really appreciate about the practice is that it calls bullshit on the whole debate. It's like, yo man, you get to just be you can't mess this up. This is not just another thing for you to do right or wrong or be a good boy or a bad boy. It's like, and I can uh, even feel into the exhaustion of always trying to do it right. You know, it's, uh, it feels like a violence. So what I'm looking for in the practice is just kind of a a chink in the armor of uh, what I think is happening. Because sometimes I can feel so certain about things and then there's no possibility of freedom because I've kind of contracted around it and there's no space. So a lot of my practice is about trying to see the space around things like this room. There's a lot of objects, but there's like 50 times more space. But we orient toward objects because they're super interesting. 
So in my practice, I've tried to see not only thoughts and memories and sensations and sounds, but also the space between them. And that's helped me a, a great deal. And I told you about this main question that I'm working with around lovability, you could say. But it's not, um, even though I've been practicing with that for a long time, there are moments, and uh, this woman right here is writing about one of those moments. She says, there are laws of our inner world that bind each of us as firmly as gravity. Beliefs that we carry about ourselves and about life in general that we experience as true in all conditions and at all times. A feeling of personal unworthiness is one such law. And one moment of unconditional love may call into question a lifetime of feeling unworthy and invalidate it. One moment of unconditional love. That's what the practice means to me, is that this moment counts. So we practice and we begin to see clearly the patterns that kind of lean into the foreground of experience, right? We can see how we are with ourselves, the tone that we take, like what's really behind the curtain. And uh, Eugene did a beautiful job opening night, kind of talking about this kindness that we're resting in, this kind awareness. But I want to talk about the power that we have to give shape to experience. You ever had somebody you really don't like? Nobody. <laughs> you have? Okay. I have tons of those people. <laughs> and I mean, you know, it's just over the years, you know, and I, I'm thinking of one right now. And when I think about him, I look back on our life, because he was in my world for whatever reason, and everything he said bothered me, like every single thing. And that's impossible. <laughs> that's not possible that I hated everything he said, right? There was, there was neutral things in there, but because I was looking through those eyes of aversion, that's what got painted. And then everything he said, became like that. And it works the opposite too. Like I have a friend that's super funny and everything he says is funny. <laughs> right? Like that's just like, I'm looking through that lens and so it's like that. It's incredibly powerful, this power that we have to give shape to experience. Uh, Anas Nin writes, is that how you say it? Anas? Anias. These cats are super smart. <laughs> she 
might be in transition. <laughs> we don't know. We don't see the world as it is. We see it as we are. So we know that this is what we're working with. But most of us are in the habit of underestimating ourselves, you know? Like it's easy to do that, to dismiss ourselves, you know? So it's this combination platter that we ride ourselves, but we underestimate ourselves. Hmm. I remember growing up and my father would always say, he, my father was a real tough guy. Hmm. And he would always say to me, you know, like, especially in my teenage years, I, I should have been much harder on you. You ever hear that? It's a really wild thing to say to a human being. <laughs> I never really knew what to do with it. You know, it's just kind of like, okay. <laughs> Is that some way of saying you're sorry? Like, where are we? do this kind of uh, withholding love, it's fulfilling that same wish. You know, it's, that's the mechanics behind the pattern, is that I should have been much harder on you. And I just don't think that's a strategy that works. If, if it did, my whole family would be enlightened. <laughs> right? Right? <laughs> if that was the mechanism by which people woke up, we would live in a different world. But it turns out, the studies are in, it doesn't work. You can let that one go as unuseful. But it's hard to let go. Mm. But I, you know, uh, it's one of the more destructive practices that we inherit in, in many families. And how do we experience that in our practice? Hmm. I bring a lot of attention to the voice that calls me back. We're hearing it uh, yeah, for, for a couple of days now. What is the tone? Anushka was asking us to be gentle with the way we draw attention back. That those are literally moments of wakefulness, right? Like you wake up. And if the first thing you're met with is, how long have you been gone? What's the matter with you? You know, like all of that. It doesn't behoove us to keep waking up because I don't want to be berated. I don't want to wake up to a berating. So we put a lot of attention on, what's the tone when we wake up? How do we orient our practice toward that gentleness that we're hearing about? A lot of times it can feel like uh, one of my teachers calls it sheepdog mentality. Like uh, breathing, breathing, bring thought. Go get back to the breath, back to the breath. <laughs> no, no, relax. Yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> so it, it's obviously we have no. 
say over the content that arises, right? There's, we just have no, there's no governor on this thing. It just comes up and goes through and I don't know from where or to where. It's like we have a stolen cable, you know what I mean? And you're just watching different channels. Somebody else is controlling this, you know? So we know we don't have any say over that, but we do have an amazing amount of say over our response. And I believe that my response is what leaves the flavor in my mouth. Like that's what I'm left with. Like the content comes and goes. And then I got, and how am I with that? And that's what stays. That's what I feel. That's where the impact is. So we pay a lot of attention as uh, Howie was talking about last night to our reactions. Incredible amount of power. You getting the theme here? How much power we have. Fantastic. We see the patterns and we have to ask ourselves, is this skillful means? Does this lead where I want it to lead? You know, things are wholesome and unwholesome, right? Things can either lead to freedom or bondage. It's not the conditions that lead us to those things, only our perspective. This is how, if conditions led to suffering, Mandela doesn't walk out of Robben Island with his dignity intact after 27 years of torture and prison. That doesn't happen. But because it's our perspective, he walks out and becomes the president. That happened. That's the power of perspective. That's an amazing power. So we get to see what we've been practicing a lot. And not just what we're offering, but also what is our mode of operation. David Foster Wallace writes, because here's something that's weird but true. In the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there's actually no such thing as atheism. There is no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. So what have we been practicing? We get to see. Hmm. I think the becoming is so becoming because um, it promises that this, the next moment is going to have what this one doesn't. You know, like it just kind of promises that. Whatever it is, whether it's freedom or happiness, whatever it is. Hmm. So it's like a shell game that we always think that some other moment is going to hold what this one doesn't. But the thing that's missing is us. 
It's our presence because we're postponing arrival to that other time when everything is there or complete or whole. But I think the thing that's really missing is our presence. So when I find myself kind of in that waiting process of, you know, going to work and then I'm going to have dinner and then I eat dinner and I'm thinking about the dishes and I'm doing the dishes and I'm thinking about dessert. And when I eat dessert, I'm thinking about the pillow. And when my head hits the pillow, I do some performance evaluation of the day and what I got to do tomorrow. And when, when do we ever arrive? So here's an image that I've kind of always hold. And it's like someday I'm going to be on the top of a mountain. I'm going to be with my teachers and I'm going to devote my days to practice and with the support of my full community. Welcome to someday. It's where you are right now. It's a hill, but you know what I'm saying? (laughs) You know, someday I'm going to arrive. <laughs> Welcome. Yeah. The kindness and compassion piece that we keep kind of putting out there is important. Not, I mean, even essential, I would say. I would say it's essential. And I gotta say, and I don't know if this is the, the party line, so I'm just speaking for me. You know, there's, there's this kindness and there's awareness. And you know, they say they're like two birds or two wings of a bird. And if I'm gonna lose either one of them, I would let awareness go. Because I know a bunch of jerks that can meditate. <laughs> I do. Like really what's important to me is the kindness. That's like the leading value. Yeah. And I think I I like the kindness so much because it feels like a, a real relief that I get to rest in that. And I spent um, a lot of years uh, just really, really working on the world. Like, like, yeah, service work. So I was working with 10,000 kids a year, and I did that for 10 years, and, and the list was never done. And then I went in, you know, I was into prisons, and then into schools, and then into rehabilitations, and then foster care, wherever, I, wherever they would let somebody like me talk to people. And, and it was only when I started doing the kindness as like a real practice did the world start changing. Because that's what the eyes I was beginning to look through. It was the same world. But it felt completely different. Because we're eating off the same plate that we're serving people off of, right?
Hildegard of Bingen writes, an interpreted world is not a home. Interpreted. So we're always working with this interpretation of experience seen through perception. And sometimes I'm just kind of walking up the path here or wherever I am. And uh, somehow it opens up a bit into like a vividness that's not shrouded in the shadows of self. And I ask myself, what is this awareness that is walking up this path? And it's like I've never been here. I've been here, you know, probably, yeah, over a hundred days I've been on this campus. And yet, it's like seeing it brand new. So how do we keep waking up out of the story? Out of the context of me here, I'm doing this and this is how it's going and, you know. It's like when you first wake up in the morning, you know, and before your to-do list and your identity kind of slams down on you and you're just kind of looking at the light through the curtain. That feeling, that's available to us if we can step out of the story. So I guess, yeah, the theme is like, don't be so hard on yourself. <laughs> you know, like, try to ease up. Uh, you know, we know the words, right? We know Martin Luther King's, uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s words around violence merely increases hate. So it goes, returning violence for violence multiplies violence. Adding darkness to a night already devoid of stars. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. It sounds so beautiful the way he says it. So how is that moment to moment helping me understand how to relate to this experience? How do we do it moment by moment with this practice to bring it home? You know, we get to frame things however we want. So like, um, you know, if I look at like the neighborhood I grew up in and the family I grew up in, when I call there, it's like calling another world. And I say, hey, Pops, how you doing? And you're hanging in there, you know? Same shit, different day. And you see the power that we have to turn life in the day into an adversary. It's something to make it through. It's wild. And, and so it is. You know, here we are, we, uh, 
this mentality can be exhausting, that adversarial mentality. And sometimes, you know, I can feel it on retreat. You know, when I, I've cleared my schedule, I've got all my ducks in a row, I've got my teachers lined up, and I get here, and I start like crossing off the calendar like X's, like I'm in prison. You know what I mean? I got three days left. I could do this. You know what I mean? Short. I got this, you know? Our conditioning is strong. We can see it so clearly. Seeing what was wrong in some ways saved my life. You know, like I was always on the lookout, always on point. I was a small kid in a violent neighborhood, so I always had my eyes on. But seeing what was beautiful, that gave me a life worth living. Now when I see what's wrong, I know that I'm the ancestors of all the nervous animals. You know, that's not me. That's biology. That's not my fault. That has a service. That was a service to me. But when I walk through here and I see somebody did the flowers, I mean, there's so many people working for our benefit to just be here like this, just on the grounds, never mind all the people covering your ass out there, right? A lot of things had to come together for us to be here. So how do we, how are we here? Because if everything is a practice, so it is. And if everything is kind of a pain in the ass, so it is. That's how much power we have. And if we kind of relate to ourselves as though we're an inconvenience, so we are. So this is my like, my best attempt to get us to bring it home. If we relate to ourselves as though something is deeply wrong with us, we're always working against that acquisition mind. And it's a setup for failure. So I'm of the firm opinion that we're bringing a lot more to experience than experience is bringing to us. What are the chances of fixing something that's not broken? Hmm. Eugene gave me a bunch of his quotes today. A, a real act of generosity because he's been probably collecting them for 30 years and he knows how much I love poems and quotations. This is one of the ones. It's from uh, Buckminster Fuller and it says, Dare to be naive. Hmm. 
and naive gets a bad rap in our culture, but it's actually a very, very beautiful thing. To be naive is without uh, causing no harm and without preconceptions. About a, a decade ago, I found myself traveling in, uh, alone in Eastern Europe. I was in Budapest, and I was uh, lonely, a deep lonely. And I was missing my wife, and I was sitting on a curb, and uh, tears were just still streaming down my face. And I wasn't sure what to do, you know. I just felt really lonely. And, and then it hit me. It was like a bolt. That the only reason I was lonely is because uh, that I let somebody matter. That I hadn't done that. Uh, my mom passed away when I was a teenager. And I just never let anybody in like that again. And this was proof that I was still whole, that I cared, that I really missed her. So we see that it's not the content of what the mind conjures up as reality. Like these were the same tears I was just crying a moment ago and all of a sudden they became a celebration. They became proof. It's that possibility that I'm not seeing the whole picture that we're looking for. So it's this inside job that we're doing. And we practice with each other, but it's just so that we can bring it home, you know? It's way easy to practice with each other. It's very easy to practice with my godson, you know? Masa, he's four. And when he's having a hard time, it's easy to just kind of squeeze him and rub his back. And he reminds me that that's inside me, that I can do that for myself that I can hold myself with that kind of tenderness when I'm scared, when I'm confused, when I don't know what to do. I can wrap myself with warmth and affection and care. He's taught me a lot. I'll lean on the words of Hafiz it happens all the time in heaven, and someday it will begin to happen again on earth. That when men and women who are married, and men and men who are lovers, and women and women who give each other light, often will get down on their knees, and while so tenderly holding their lover's hand with tears in their eyes, will sincerely speak, saying, My dear, how can I be more loving to you?
How can I be more kind? This is my understanding of the practice. How do we hold ourselves with such regard? I mean, we can push ourselves, but can we do it with care and love? Yeah, his words are reaching through time and space. I mean, he wrote that 800 years ago. <laughs> he also wrote this. This is one of my favorites. He said, if you knew the end of your story, nothing on any page, not one of your dramas, would bother you so much. <laughs> so thank you for your attention and your practice. And I think these are the great gifts that we have, is our, our time and attention. And I hope I haven't wasted either of them. <clears throat> so we'll sit for a moment, but I really need to see your most spiritual posture. <laughs> Come on, the A game. Allowing ourselves to come home. No matter how long we've been away. to be continued. <coughs> Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.